Uh, welcome, online and satellite group. So excited that you can be with us. Uh, we are on week six, which means that there are two weeks left. So turn to your neighbor and say, we're going to make it. <laughs> we're going to make it. We're going to make it. Two weeks left. Um, and today we're going to be talking about a, title, a topic that I know that you guys are going to be jazzed to talk about. Uh, today we are talking about idols. So excited. Yes, yes, I'm excited too. Um, now for some of you, you might be thinking, man, we've been talking about idols a lot in this series. I think we've almost addressed it every single week. Um, and that's because idols matter to God. And the vision that I got when I was praying for this lesson and thinking about it was just this concept of idols are these blockers between us and God's love. So when we talk about idols, it's not with a spirit of shame or condemnation or judgment. It's with this thought of, hey, some of us feel like we're thirsty, like we're dry, like we're not receiving the love of God in, in streams of living water. And what I want to talk about today is how idols are like rocks in that path that block that living water from flowing through us. And so today, what I really want to focus on, we're going to talk about some of our cultural idols. Um, this text was written to a certain place, a certain time, a certain people, um, and they lived in a culture. And I've heard culture defined as like the water that a fish swims in. It doesn't even know that it's in water because it's just the air that they breathe. And so often, our cultural values, Idols are just things that you and I take for granted. We don't even think about. They're kind of what we were raised with. We don't question them. We don't challenge them. Um, yesterday, I was working out at the gym in the morning, which you can applaud for on the side. Um, I make it probably once or twice a month, so it was a big deal for me. Um, but I was working out at the gym, and they're, they're playing all these songs in the background. And I just started, you know, I'm kind of like rocking out. I'm doing my little thing. And I started listening to the lyrics. And I was just blown away at some of the lyrics that are on the radio, just like how inappropriate they are. Just, I like, I guess I don't listen a lot. But it was this picture for me of that's culture. It's the background noise that you and I inadvertently sing, hum, know, and don't really challenge your question. But I wanted to share with you one of the songs I was listening to. The lyrics, some of you might know this song. Uh, it's called Seven Rings by Ariana Grande. But I just thought it was a good little snapshot of like, our culture is so different than God's kingdom. But this is what Ariana's culture is. She said, yeah, Breakfast at Tiffany's and bottles of bubbles. Girls with tattoos who like getting in trouble. Lashes and diamonds, ATM machines. Buy myself all my favorite things. I want it, I got it. I want it, I got it. And I just thought, I'm just listening to this. I'm like, man, our culture is filled with subliminal messages, with these things that we position as idols. And so we've been talking about idols this whole time, how God wants to remove idols in our life. And some of you, I imagine, for myself, I know it was really easy to see some of my big idols. Like, oh yeah, those are big things. I think what can be harder is these little things that come in the way of us and God that feel so natural. It's like, well, she's doing it. It's not that big a deal. Is it cool? It doesn't really, it's not going to cost me. And so that's what I want to focus on today. What are some of the small but deadly idols that are getting in our way? 
Uh, my aunt is one of my favorite people in the world, and my aunt recently uh, was experiencing a lot of pain. She was doubled over, went to the ER, they did an MRI, she has kidney stones. And she was in so much pain that she could barely move, and so they finally, they scheduled an emergency surgery, they went in there and they found out that her kidney stones, there was an infection, or it was inflamed. And if they had taken them out too soon, it could infect everything. So my aunt had to go home with pain meds and wait for 10 days until the infection passed, and she, it was 10 days of grueling pain. Now, kidney stones are extra waste that builds up, and when they block that part of our body, it is, I've heard, excruciatingly painful. And why I'm telling you that is because I think that idols do the exact same thing. They're this waste that builds up in us, and all of a sudden, it costs us, and it blocks us, and it's painful. And it's that image of God's love wants to flow through you. It wants to define you. It wants to tell you who you are. And when we put up idols, it blocks us from receiving God's love. And so today, my prayer is that as we enter this text, that we would have such open eyes and ears to be aware of where some of our small idols that seem harmless and they're not costing us anything, that we would be real and honest in claiming them and saying, yeah, I actually turn to that instead of God. Because when we turn to anything else besides God, we don't get God's goodness flowing through us, right? Are you with me? Are you tracking with me? One thing I want to say is I don't want to approach this topic from a position of shame, judgment, condemnation. I don't want anyone to leave feeling like, oh, I feel so, I feel so convicted. I feel like condemned. I feel like I'm the worst person in the world. That's not the point of this. Um, I had a friend in college. Her name's Kita. Kita decided junior year of high school that she was done with pants, and she decided she would only wear dresses and skirts the rest of her life. And so in college, she was my roommate, and one day she was in a little cute pencil skirt, and she had 30 minutes in between classes. And so she came home. I guess the pencil skirt was a little tight that day. She took off her skirt to take a nap, put on her alarm, all of a sudden the alarm up, she's up, grabs her bag, goes out the door. And so she's walking down Wisconsin, the main road where I went, where I went to school, and this polite little Indian man came up to her and he's like, ma'am, ma'am, I can see your underwear. And she was like, oh, thank you, sir. And she turned and watched, marched right back up the street and put back on her skirt because she had forgotten her skirt. <laughs> Now, why do I tell you that is because that sweet Indian man, he was not condemning her, he was not judging her, he was just giving her a simple heads up like, hey, you are not wearing a skirt and I can see things. <laughs> and so I want us to approach the topic today exactly like that kind Indian man of like, hey, there might be some things in your life that you're idolizing. And the reality is, is if you walk into that classroom without your skirt, you're gonna feel ashamed, you're gonna feel embarrassed, you're gonna feel judged. I don't want that for any of us. I want us to appropriately address our idols and say, hey, this is actually costing me and it could hurt me. And so I'm gonna be honest about it and I'm gonna deal with it. And I'm gonna say, yeah, that actually is a problem for me. I'm turning to that instead of God and I'm gonna give it up to him. So that's how I want us to approach the topic today. So let's pray and invite God into this space to remove anything in us that's keeping us from him. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who cares enough about us to want to address idols, anything that we put in your place or in front of you, Father. 
And so today I just pray, God, that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what areas of our lives we're keeping a block from you, God. What's keeping us from being satiated, fulfilled, overwhelmed for our cup to runneth over with your love? Would you remove anything that we've put on the throne of our hearts, minds, or lives, and would you replace it with your son, Jesus Christ? In his name we pray, amen. All right, we're gonna kick off. I'm gonna go back a little half verse that wasn't in your lesson today because I think there's something important in it. Um, I'm gonna start from Hosea 6, 11b. It says, whenever I would restore the fortunes of my people, whenever I would heal Israel, the sins of Ephraim are exposed and the crimes of Samaria are revealed. I wanna highlight those first two lines for you. God wants to restore the fortunes of his people and heal Israel. And what needs to happen for that to, be, to take place is that the sins need to be exposed and the crimes need to be revealed. So I wanna tell you on the other side of us identifying what our idols are, God has fortunes, God has goodness, God has healing for you on the other side, but we have to get to the revealing and identifying part first. And that's some of the work that I've asked you to do this week. That's some of the work we're gonna do today. And that's some of the ongoing work that's part of God restoring and healing us is labeling things, naming things that have become more important to us than God. So that's how it starts. And then it goes in, it goes on. It says, um, he's talking, Hosea's talking to the Israelites. It says, they practice deceit Thieves break into houses, bandits rob in the streets, but they do not realize that I remember all their evil deeds. Their sins engulf them, they are always before me. They delight the king with their wickedness, the princes with their lies. They are all adulterers, burning like an oven, whose fire the baker need not stir from the kneading of the dough till it rises. On the day of the festival of our king, the princes become inflamed with with wine and he joins hands with the mockers. So the first sin that we see Hosea call out of Israel's, and this verse specifically is speaking to the leaders and the priests. So all the things you just heard, it's not just the common average man, it's the leaders and the priests that Hosea is calling out. It says they practice deceive, thieves break into house, bandits rob, they do evil, sin engulfs them, their wickedness, their adulterers, they lie, they get inflamed with wine, they mock the Holy Spirit. All these things Hosea is calling out, and I think the sin he's trying to call out right here is the sin of of deception. The sin of deception. How easily you and I can be deceived, deceive ourselves, deceive others, and think that we're deceiving God, right? It's filled with lies. They're pretending to be somebody that they're not. And one of the biggest, I think, American cultural mantras, you could say, or, or values, is this concept of uh, follow your heart. Do whatever makes you happy. You, be, you do you, right? That's this model, that's this background noise and instruction that we've heard most of our light of, if it makes you happy, if it feels good, yeah, go for it. You, you've earned that, you've deserved that. Um, I was thinking about that verse, or just that saying, like, follow your heart. I remember having like journals as a kid that had that on there, and it was like, yeah, what do you feel? What do you want? Go towards that. And then I found this passage in Jeremiah 17, 9 that says something completely contradictory to the American model. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? 
You see, when we're talking about idols, it's really easy for you and I to justify anything we do, especially in the culture we live in right now, right? It's like, you do you, I do me. And so Satan is the author of lies. He's the author of deception. And there's nothing more that Satan wants than for you to think you're doing everything right, you don't got any idols, you're going to Bible study, you're set, everything's good, right? That's what Satan wants us all to believe, that whatever we do doesn't have a cost, doesn't have an effect. Um, and I, we all tend to live this way. It's, like a, it's an American mentality that like, I'm gonna do what works for me. Um, so I started surfing in COVID and I bought a really cheap like surf rack. And on the surf rack, there is this instruction that says, do not drive more than 55 miles per hour on the freeway. I don't think that applies to me. <laughs> So recently I was driving and I was trying to get to the beach and I was cruising and the person that I was with was like, hey, do you, like, do you know the rules on the surf rack so you're not supposed to go over 55? And I'm like, yeah, but we gotta get to the beach. And I just kept on cruising. But there was, when I was thinking about this topic, there's this sense that like, Sometimes we think we're above authority or, or above rule. And to be honest, I've gone surfing a bunch this summer. Nothing's ever happened. The board never thing. I'm like, oh, I'm fine. I know what I'm doing. But it's this concept that I think I can get away with whatever I want to get away with. And you and I can buy into that mentality of like, oh, it's not really hurting me. What's one more drink? What's one more bite? I, I mean, I, yeah, I bought a lot last week, but just a few more items in the cart. We can minimize the things that are destroying us, the things that are costing us. Um, one of the tests that I found, I found this little test. I think sometimes where we deceive ourselves is really hard because we're so good at justifying the things that we do and why we need to do them and why they're not bad and why they're not hurting others. And so I found this little test that I want us to take. This is a between you and God test. You can write your answers down, but it's really just to give you a snapshot of where your heart's at, where some of your knee-jerk reaction goes. So I'm going to read a statement and I'm going to say fill in the blank and I want you to fill in the blank for yourself, okay? Between you and God, you don't have to tell your neighbor. So so this is a self-test. Okay, so it says, when I, am when I am discontent, I fill in the blank to feel fulfilled. When you are discontent, what do you do to feel fulfilled? Next one. When I am unhappy, I fill in the blank to lift my spirits. When you're unhappy, what do you do to lift your spirits? Next one is, when I am sad, I fill in the blank so I will feel better. When you're sad, what do you do to feel better? Next one, when I am angry, I fill in the blank to help me calm down. When you're angry, what do you do to help yourself calm down? Next one, when I am insecure, I fill in the blank to feel better about myself. When you feel insecure, what do you do to feel better about yourself? And last one, when I am overlooked, I fill in the blank to help me feel like I matter. Now, I imagine all of our responses are different. Some of them might overlap. Um, some of the things you could have put is you go shopping, have a glass of wine, rate the refrigerator, get on Facebook or Instagram, wear something that makes you feel attractive, call a friend. These are not bad things, right? The problem is, is when we substitute something else for God. When you and I are going through something and our knee-jerk reaction is to have the glass of wine, is to call a friend, is to quick go fill up our Amazon cart or Nordstrom rack cart, you name your individual preference. 
but you and I have these tendencies to go to other things, and then we can deceive ourselves and say, no, well, no, I, I trust God. I believe in him. I'm like living for him. But we have all these little crutches that we lean on, that we're actually dependent on, and we can deceive ourselves, and we can deceive others. Uh, the Bible says in 1 John 1, 8 through 9, it says, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I wonder today, what are the little things in your life that you're deceiving yourself about, that you're acting like it's not a big deal, but God's inviting you to actually turn to him, to trust him with that emotion, to actually walk it out with him, to pray instead of running to something else. Where are you deceiving yourself or others or trying to deceive God? That's what Israel was doing. The priests were partying, they were mocking whatever Hosea was saying, they were lying, they were stealing from others, but they were pretending to be good, holy men of God. Where are we pretending to be something that we're not, that God wants to call us on and then conform and transform into somebody who runs to him first? Okay, let's carry on. It says in Hosea 7, verse 8, it says, Ephraim mixes with the nations. Ephraim is a flat loaf not turned over. Foreigners sap his strength, but he does not realize it. His hair is sprinkled with gray, but he does not notice. Israel's arrogance testifies against him. But despite all of this, he does not return to the Lord as God or search for him. Ephraim is like a dove easily deceived and senseless. Now calling to Egypt, now turning to Assyria. When they go, I will throw my net over them. I will pull them down like the birds in the sky. When I hear them flocking together, I will catch them. And so Hosea calls out the second sin of Israel, and that is Israel's sense of security. You see, Israel was a small nation that was starting to get nervous that they wouldn't be in control, they wouldn't be in power, and so they started to look around at the other powerhouse nations. They saw Egypt, they saw Assyria, and they thought, if we can form a political alignment with them, if we can buy into their military power, we'll be protected, we'll be safe. And so they gave them money, they made an allegiance with them, and they trusted that these other nations would protect them. While the whole time God's saying, I want you to trust me, I I've chosen you, I've called you, you're mine, I'm gonna protect you even if your army or political forces aren't as strong, but they didn't trust God, they, they weren't secure in that. And so they ran to their enemies and tried to buy their support. And what ended up happening, and if you know the story, if you've read the Bible, these enemies turned on them and ended up being the ones who destroyed them. And so I wonder today, where do you go for your security? What makes you feel secure in who you are? What makes you feel worthy? What makes you feel like you're safe, like you're protected? Now, political and military alliance might not be the thing that you run to, but I think you and I can run to a lot of things for our security. I think an easy one is we can run to our bank account. We can run to our reputation. Do people like me? Am I in good standing? We can run even to things like social media to get affirmation from people, like, oh, I feel secure, I feel good about myself. There are all these other places that you and I can easily roam to find our security. And here Israel's calling it out. He's saying, don't trust other people. Don't pay them for things that I can give you because what will happen is those things will end up destroying you. Have you guys ever been part of a scheme? Have you ever been tricked or bought into something that wasn't real? 
When I was in sixth grade, my good friend and I, Beth, sweet Beth, we, um, we were really into like glitter because we thought it made us look like really attractive. And so we had found this one like a magazine advertisement for this body butter with real gold flecks. And it was, I think it was like $30, which is not what Beth and I had, but we were like, oh my gosh, if we could just have this, we would like show up at the dance and it would be like all gold and we would look so good. And so Beth and I saved our money and we, I don't even think we told our parents, like it was a little, it was just pre-internet. Uh, we like mailed in our little mailer with the, ch with the check or cash, I don't know what we did. And sure enough, six weeks later, this little body butter with gold flecks arrived and we were so excited. We're like, let's wear it to the dance. And so we like, you know, are getting ready and we put it all on. Well, as you can imagine, it was not real gold. And it ended up, I think, irritating my skin. And I don't think anybody noticed that we were wearing gold body butter and that we were, you know, the stars of the ball. But Beth and I really thought that if we just had the gold body butter that we would look amazing and the men would flock to us. And that didn't happen. Sometimes you and I can run to things that promise something that they can't actually do. And that's a funny example, but I think we do this all the time. I think you and I turn to gyms and dieting programs and social circles and our own platforms to try to get the security that we need when really only the Lord can provide that security for us. Only our identities rooted and grounded in the love of Christ can give us enough stability to stand the storm. So where do you run for your security? What are you looking for to give you worth, to give you value, to make you feel good about yourself? God's saying, be careful, because the things that you end up paying for end up owning you, and they can destroy you. Where do you find your security? And the last one we're going to talk about today, we're going to go on to verse 714. It says, uh, Hosea says, they do not cry out to me from their hearts, but wail on their beds. They slash themselves, appealing to their gods for grain and new wine, but they turn away from me. I trained them and strengthened their arms, but they plot evil against me. They do not turn to the most high. They are like a faulty bow. So the last thing that Hosea calls them out on is, who do you trust? When things are hard, when things are going bad, who do you cry out to for help? Where do you actually put your trust when rubber meets the road? When I was reading this, it says, so it says they do not cry out to me from their hearts, but wail on their beds. Uh, what they're actually doing is um, ball. One of the practices that people who worship ball were required to do was this mourning ritual where they would wail and cry and plead with ball to give them fertility. That was one of their practices. And so on their beds, when they're crying out, they're not crying to God. They're actually, they're doing a ritual practice that they believed ball would hear and then grant them. If they gave ball their tears and their emotion and their lamentations, the, the, the saying went that ball would hear them and give them fertility. Now we know that that's not true, but I just wonder, God woke me up at 5.38 the other morning with that specific verse when I was sleeping in bed. They do not cry out to me from their hearts, but wail on their beds. I wonder how many things we cry about and whine about and complain about and think, if only I had that, I would be happy. Why didn't God give me blank? We cry for these other things when God's saying, you're not crying for me. 
You're not trusting me. You're not turning towards me. And I think my biggest, I think the biggest idol in American culture has and always will be the idol of self, right? When everything else is going wrong, it is so easy not to trust God, but to trust ourselves, right? When something's wrong, the, my first instinct is usually like, how do I fix it? I can take this on, right? We put all this weight on ourselves as women, and the problem is you and I aren't built to carry the weight of the world. As strong and amazing and as empowered as God has created us, he did not create us to be gods. He created us to be daughters who are taken care of by the true father. And so, so often you and I, when things get hard, when the storm gets tough, when we really want something, you and I put our minds to it and we try to make it happen, right? We try to control things the way we want them to go. Then we start controlling kids, husbands, friends, coworkers. Like we're, we think that we're our own God and the American motto has always been, you do you, get what you want, be whoever you wanna be. And so we take it upon ourselves like, I'll figure it out. I'll figure, I got this. Like, I can do this. Uh, um, I got it, no big deal. God's saying, I didn't create you to be God. I created you to trust me first and foremost. Uh, the verse that that reminds me of is Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. I wonder today, where are you trying to take control in an area that God has asked you to trust him? I shared this before, I'm fine to share it again. One of my biggest idols where God really got my heart when we went through the book of Hosea is this, was this idol of marriage. I thought it would make me happy. I thought it would bring fulfillment, contentment. I thought it was what I had to have to experience God's love. And so one of the things that I took on myself was, I can figure this out. I'm an educated, confident woman. I'm gonna just go online, I'm gonna meet someone, I'm gonna make this happen. And so over the course of the last few years, I think I have tried every online dating site you can imagine. You name one, I can tell you probably who I went on a date with and how it went. But I tried everything. I took, I took this posture of like, you know what? Like if God's not working for me, I'm gonna work for myself. I'm gonna partner with him and I'm gonna make this happen. And so some of you have never done the online dating thing. You're so blessed and chosen. Um, but if any of you know what the online dating thing is, it's like this, it's like my friend describes it as like a game of numbers. It's like the more you can get, the higher your likelihood is that you're gonna meet somebody. And so there were seasons in my life where I'm like, okay, I want this, I'm competent, I'm gonna figure this out. So I would go online and swipe, 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 swipe. And it was so much work and it was so much pressure and I would get so frustrated when I didn't get the results that I wanted. I'd go out with somebody and they were nothing like they said their profile was and I would get discouraged and I would get disheartened. And the problem is, is when you and I try to play God in whatever situation is in our life, we usually disappoint ourselves, right? We usually get disappointed. We can't figure it out. We can't make that person change. We can't correct our kid's behavior. We can't make our spouse do this. So we take on the weight of the world and we try to control things the way we want. And all along, God's saying, you got to trust me. You got to trust that I have better for you. You got to let it go. That problem that you're stewing on, that person you want to change, that whatever it is, whatever you want, you think that your way or the highway is the way God's saying, hey, I want you to return to me and I want you to call out to me because that God-sized hole in your heart, only I can fill. 
that thing you're chasing on the app, that thing you're looking for on social media, it's not gonna fill you. It might feel good for a while, but it's not gonna actually meet your needs. God is a God who wants to meet your needs. He knows, he knows the deep desires of your heart. He knows what you're longing for and he's watching us run to other things only to be disappointed, right? How many of you, if your kids go through something hard at school, want them to come home and talk to you about it. Like, hey, this happened. I don't know what to do about it, right? We want our kids, we want people that we care about to come and talk to us about things instead of internalizing their problems, taking it on themselves, trying to figure it out, going to a friend for advice. That's like a parent's biggest fear. Like, come talk to me and we'll figure it out. And God is the same way. He's like, when you're struggling with something, I don't want you to call your girlfriend who's gonna give you bad advice. I don't want you to internalize that as your fault or take on your shame that you did something wrong or you're not enough. Like, just let's talk about it because I actually know the plans that I have for you and they're to prosper you and not to harm you and things might not come in your time but my time is perfect and my time is better and I'm never a minute too late and I'm never a minute too early. So if you're waiting on something, I have a reason that you're waiting on it and it's gonna come in the perfect time. Thank you. (laughs) I'm not used to getting praised on stage. She said, preach, Coley. But anyways, God is inviting us to submit our desires to him, knowing, knowing with the sovereignty of the world that he's the only one that can fulfill them. And so today, as we close, before you go into your groups, I'm gonna spend, I want us to just spend a little time with God, asking him in such a personal, tender way to reveal some of the idols that we've sought to get our identity, fulfillment, satisfaction. I'm just gonna invite God to minister to us in that place and to show us because I believe he wants to set us free. He wants to replace idols with the truth that Jesus is enough for every emotion, every problem, every insecurity we have, everything we need trust for, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life for that. And so I want us to do a little heart work of removing the stones of idols and replacing them with rivers of flowing water, that Jesus would come in and that you would leave feeling so loved and refreshed because you're not chasing anything that doesn't satisfy. So will you bow your heads with me? I wanna invite God into this space and we're just gonna pray and commit to him the things that we put in front of him. Lord Jesus, God, I thank you that you're the God who sees us. Lord, there is no deceit in you. There's nothing we can do to hide from you, Lord. You know all of our sins, all of our weaknesses. You know the things that we chase even better than we do, Father. And so in this next few moments, Father, I just invite you in. I invite your Holy Spirit uh, to minister to each heart that's here, Father. And I pray that in your gentleness and in your tenderness and in your, your Father voice, Lord, that you would start to reveal some of the things that we're putting in front of you, Father. I pray you would show us where we're being deceived, either by ourselves or others. I pray that you'd show us the areas that we're trying to find security and comfort and value and worth that are actually only hurting us, Father. And Lord, I pray that you in this time would just reveal any area that we are trusting ourselves and our plans more than you and your perfect plans. So Father, we give you the next few moments and would you come in and would you speak to us in such a real way?
Father, we come to you with repentant hearts. Lord, there's things that we have loved and chased and trusted more than you, and we confess those to you now, Father. Lord, we pray, we pray, God, that you would cover and remove any of the idols that we've placed in front of you, Father. We lay them at your feet. We say that they are not worthy, that they do not satisfy, that they do not fulfill, but Lord, we know that you and you alone, your son, Jesus Christ, is the way, the truth, and the life. We know, we declare that Jesus is enough and that streams of living water run through us, Lord, that you satiate all of our needs and you love us with such tender care that there is no want in us, Father. So Lord, we thank you that you're a God who helps remove our idols, who calls us back to you, who invites us to return to the source of life, that you don't condemn us or judge us or forsake us or hold us back, Lord. So right now we just return to you, Father. We thank you that you love us and we ask you to be the bedrock of our identity, that you would be our deepest desire and our first love. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are the name above all names, that you are the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. And God, we commit to surrendering idols and seeking only you, God, this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.